going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Julian Taylor over Zoom video. Julian was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, and talks about how he got into music. His dad is a piano player, came from a very artistic household. His dad was also a photographer. Mom was involved in the fashion industry, along with his grandma and his uh, aunts. So like I said, he has a very artistic upbringing. Started playing piano at a very early age and then ended up moving on to guitar. Talked about the first songs he ended up writing. The band he was in for a number of years called Staggered Crossing, which ended up getting signed to Warner Canada. Talks about that, getting signed to a major label, having a huge hit on the radio of what that was like all the way up until releasing his first solo records and the success of his most recent solo album called The Ridge, which was nominated for two Juno Awards. And we also talk about his brand new song and upcoming album, the song's called Seed, and the deep meaning behind that new song Seed as well. You can watch the interview with Julian on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Julian Taylor. Hello. Hey, what's up, Julian? How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks, man. I appreciate the invitation. Of course. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I'm Adam, and uh, this is a podcast about you and your journey in music. And uh, we'll talk about the new song and what you have going on. Okay. One second. My daughter's just on the phone, so I'm going to tell her to go to the basement. All right. Cool, man. Ella, sweetheart. Sorry. Can we take the phone downstairs, please? Hi, Mom. Oh, I'm just on a, I'm just on, I'm good. I'm just on a call, but I'll, I'll, I'll call you back. I was going to talk. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay, Mom. All right. Sorry, Adam. Oh, good. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, so, yeah, so, like I said, this is about you and your journey in music. Um, are you born? You are currently. Are you in uh, Toronto? Is that what I saw? Uh, at this very second, I'm in a place called Fenland Falls, where I have like a, a little getaway. Oh, cool! Um, it's not too far from Toronto. It's about an hour and a half. But was that where you were born and raised? In Toronto, or did you yeah, move there later? In, I was born and raised in Toronto. Yeah. What was it like growing up there? I know big music scene. It's kind of crazy. Um, it wasn't so big when I was born. This is forty years ago, so. Uh, I've seen the whole thing develop over time uh, into what it is now. And it's a massive city, um, one of the fastest growing in the world, of course. And um, when we were growing up, the neighborhoods that we lived in, there was, you know, more ma and pa shops and like little bakeries and, you know, Italian restaurants and things like that. And um, secondhand clothes shops and stuff like that. And now it's it's a little bit more big store looking. Uh, certainly um, R&B and hip hop is like the world's, stage from toronto but growing mm. up you know it was written in blues which i guess is the same thing it just developed into something else later it's pretty cool but folk music was really big too um and my grandmother and my family were 
pretty much entrenched in the music scene and the dance and the fashion scene. My aunt was a model. My grandmother was a fashion designer. And oh, wow. Crazy stuff, yeah. That's really cool. So you've grown up within at least this industry in, in some regard. In some regard, yeah, for sure. Uh, my dad's a photographer and a piano player himself. And um, a lot of the, my family members all play. In fact, on the last couple of records, my cousins Gene and Barry uh, are the rhythm section for uh, most of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is really, really cool. Um, so you, your, your parents both play you said is oh, that how you kind of got into music was through through them just my dad my mom can't uh sing a lick okay <laughs> so dad plays and did he want you i mean you said he's a piano player was that something that you started off on it was actually yeah I, I, there's a piano right here in front of me right now and is, is, uh, how old were you when you started playing piano god i was five Oh, wow. Was it something that you were drawn to or did your parents kind of say, I oh, was, you know? Uh, I was drawn to it. And um, I sort of think, and, and now that I'm speaking to my parents, they may have started me too early, um, but they don't necessarily agree because I lost a bit of a love for it um, when I picked up the guitar. Right now I'm regaining that love for it. Okay. I'm playing it again and reteaching myself some of the things that I sort of lost along the way. Um, but I, I play every instrument, really. Um, there's an upright bass over there. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you started off on the piano, and then it kind of, you built your way from there. Mm-hmm, for sure. Okay. And when do you start writing songs, like, or playing guitar? Was that the next instrument, or, like, how did your journey kind of progress? I was making stuff up at five. Wow. Like, melodies and, and stories on the piano, and that progressed to the guitar a little later. Okay, how old were you when you started playing guitar? Maybe 11. My cousin Ronte lent me her acoustic guitar and I never gave it back. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and from there, were you writing songs? And when, when you're writing these songs, were you showing people them or was it something you kept to yourself? Like, how did you then no, how do people know that you wrote songs? I was songs? showing them to my folks. I mean, there's videos of me running up to my dad saying, do you like this one, daddy? Do you like this one? And like showing him something I've done. So oh, that's cool. He's got that on like real to real, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. And when do you start showing them to other people? Like what was kind of the, was there a moment or a time that you can recall that you're like, this is what I need to do or like a validating moment for you that kept you, you involved or into it? Yeah, for sure. Um, the beginning of high school, I think it was grade nine, uh, mm -hmm. where at the time, I think my, my generation, I'm born 1978. So I was one of the last generations where I think that sort of hippie dome sort of mentality was in place still mm -hmm. in grade nine, where people would be playing hacky sack and sitting on the lawn and, and skateboarding and you know, playing guitar outside the school. And so I used to do that a lot of the time and make up songs and play with other, you know, kids that played guitar and trade ideas and licks and things like that. And that would have been the first time that I think mm -hmm. I was sharing stuff with people in public. After that, after my year in grade nine, the next year, it seemed like hip hop just took over. I remember that vividly where the biggest record in high school, I 
that time. And I sort of followed along with like, wow, what is this? Like Tribe Called Quest really blew my mind. Mm-hmm. You know? And so from a lyrical standpoint, I started looking at that stuff as well. Okay. And were you then influenced? Because like, I mean, obviously your, your music now is nothing <laughs> like, like like tribe called quest but well, never been like tribe called okay quest. so so you just um you were just into that stuff and then was there a time in around that same time period that you know you said you're trading licks and stuff with with different people at your school were you then pursuing like a singer songwriter thing as far as like playing coffee shops or doing local shows or um what happened was a couple of friends of mine and i ended up starting a, a, a band and it was like a, a four-piece band we really didn't know what we were doing so i was writing songs on acoustic guitar and we would just take those acoustic guitar driven songs and just play them together so and we we were just learning at the time so i guess you would have to say it was a folk rock band mm-hmm. uh, and a very poor one at that because uh bass player was just learning how to play bass and drummer was just learning how to play drums and i was playing guitar and singing and you know the other guitar player was learning as well so we just threw it all together and what happened was there was a bunch of kids that started this thing called the battle band i'm sure they have them all over the place where Mm -hmm. they find uh a bunch of high school kids who are wanting to play for free and sell their tickets (laughs) so sure (laughs) (laughs) so we did that and uh we did that a bunch of times and we, we we won a couple of those we came second and third and we thought well maybe there's something here but we were playing original music and it was music that i had written uh and my other buddy andre um who's a singer songwriter still to this day he was the other writer and, and singer in the band so we were you know just trying to figure it out i there was really no genre you know specifically mm-hmm. and for, with from yeah from there did, did uh, you carry on playing with this band and how long do you guys go for and from there is that when you kind of break off and do your own solo thing no i i played with that band uh and in different incarnations of that band for close to 15 years wow yeah so what happened was um the band morphed into the band that i was in when i got signed to warner Youth canada mm-hmm we were about 19 years old, 19, 20 years old when that happened. And uh, mostly songs that I had written. That must have been so exciting. I mean, to get a major label and like, yeah, tell me about that. Big major label and big major tours and major uh, management and agents. And it's, it was crazy, right? We thought we were on our way. And uh, in a lot of ways, we were. We had a, a huge hit single here in Canada. It went to number four on the rock charts. And we were a rock band. Like, I still to this day call it folk rock but whatever mm-hmm. on the rock charts and um we uh we put out that one record with Warner Music Canada and then halfway through that record Napster uh, was in full swing and oh. we didn't sell any records because everyone was downloading <laughs> yeah. oh wow okay some shows and stuff but it was a really a bad time to be on top of the world because the world it came right from under us mm-hmm. and, um we ended up uh you know parting ways with the major label and i ended up working at structuring my own independent label so that we could release the music and we released two more records toured on our own and did everything on our own as as, as far as we could um and that band was called staggered crossing and okay 
we had fun. We had a good time. It's a, it's a, it, at times there was a grungier sound. At times there was a Americana sound. At times there was a, the soul-oriented sort of feel to it, which morphed into what I I would do next. And the next thing I did was uh, perform under the Judy and Taylor band, which was more of a rhythm and blues and soul pop thing. Um, we had a couple of hits with that band as well, and uh, I know. Just a little bit was a song that was really popular that I got played on BBC Two and things like that. And wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, then I decided that I wanted to just try my hand at writing a solo record. And really, the, the thing about me is that all the songs I've ever written are really just folk songs. <laughs> it just depends on who's playing with me. Right, right. I was going to say, and it, but then if you're playing with a band that's playing rock songs, then it's now a rock song. Or... Yeah, exactly. So that that's what happened. You know? Wow. Okay. So you you did Stagger Crossing for a handful of years. I mean, it sounds oh, like yeah. you guys were around for a while. We were around for a long time. We we just released our 20th anniversary uh, of our debut last year. Wow. Did you do anything for that? Yeah, we put a couple of songs that we had hadn't ever released on it and threw it up on Spotify. And Warner Music was great about it, and they uh, helped promote it a little bit. And then, and then it was fun. That's so cool. And to have that, like, uh, do you remember how you guys got signed to Warner in the beginning? Like, was it something that they found you and and or, or like were you submitting songs? I know people would make press kits back in the day and mail them out to labels. Or oh yeah, know? we got denied from every major label, including Warner, when we did that. But okay. there was a girl who went to high school with us and her dad worked at one of the major independent publishers here in Canada. And she gave him the tape and he loved it. He signed uh -huh. us to a publishing deal. And in the deal, it said that within a year, if he didn't get us a major re record label deal, that uh, the publishing deal would be null and void. So we said, sure. Wow. That's crazy. That's so cool. So from there, like when when she started, when you put out your solo record, your first solo record, was that the album you put out in 2013? Yeah, it would have been a record. Well, um, I put out two. One was mm -hmm. called Absence of the Sun. Mm -hmm. And that's like, a it's just me and, a, and an acoustic guitar. And then the second, the, the other one's called Blank Tape Levy, which I don't know if anybody can find at the moment, but I do have the rights to it now. So I'm going to re-release it, but it would have been the final uh, staggered crossing record there were all songs that were slated for staggered crossing but we broke up and, and that record came out under uh, a name called blank tape levy which was neither me or the band it was just an interesting story i called it blank tape levy because the first time i recorded it it got stolen oh wow it broke into uh, the producer's studio and stole some gear including the hard drive that this particular record was on so i'd already paid for it recorded it a whole bunch of musicians and then it was stolen never really got to hear any of the mixes from the original one but we had to record all the songs all over again oh my gosh yeah is that i mean do you feel like did you like you must have obviously a base of how the songs were going to sound but do you feel like they changed uh, at all oh, yeah, when you re-recorded them like you take a bunch of people uh, and record the same thing twice the first time you're in there it's all you know Gung Ho, ready to go. And the second time, you're kind of uh, a, a bit deflated, you know? Right. I mean, you had just done all this work and then the, the thing just disappears or gets jacked. I mean, that's so crazy. Yeah, it was pretty insane. Oh, man. And then uh, you ended up 
release you said you had you did release it but no one can find yeah, it, well, I it. <laughs> at that time there was no spotify right 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 2010 i think and then to this 2013 i released absence of the sun okay and from there you've just continued to release uh records under julian taylor i released whatever you know if, if the band wants to get the, into the studio and, and hash it out and bang it out i'm i'm down mm-hmm. um, and you know I, most of the time it's just me but like people want to collaborate i'm i'm down i'll i'll do a hip-hop record if somebody wants to do <laughs> i just can't do the mc i'll just i'll be faith evans you know there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, you had a huge, I mean, this year and last year and into 2020, I'm, I mean, with, uh, with the Ridge, tell me about that. And was that a record put together during the pandemic or? No, just before it actually. Oh, okay. So we went in there and recorded that in the summer of 2019. Uh, it was ready to go uh, in 2020. I was going to release it in the fall. And then, you know what, I said, what the hell? Some people close to me were like, you know what, why don't you just give it a whirl? And it was an independent record. And I said, well, sure, I'll give it a whirl and see what happens. And well, things happen, which is really great. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it just, it, it does extremely well. You get nominated for not only one, but two Juno Awards. That must have been, uh, yeah. had that had that happened before with, even no, with Stagger Crossing? No, in the 20 uh, plus, years of my career it had never happened so i made up for a lot lost time oh wow yeah what was that like i mean obviously yeah that's the biggest thing there is in music as far as when it goes to it comes to canadian music it's it, it's the grammys of canada yeah so yeah um being in, in, included in that also was pretty nice and the Blair's prize i was included in that as well which is great yeah um i really had wished and, you know, I'm going to keep working and hope that, it, you know, fingers crossed, maybe I get um, to be part of that again. But I, I wish that we had been able to meet in person. All of the stuff had been um, online. Even the Juno Awards were done. And they did a wonderful job online. I just, it would have been so nice to be able to just, you know, converse with people in person. And, and Oh, so you had to be a part of the, the Junos that were not, like, you were, had to be over Zoom or something? It was like this. Yeah, like this. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, that was the only, that was the only one. I mean, it's amazing that, it, you you know, that obviously the achievement and everything else, but I mean, how I'm sure you're, you're devastated that you couldn't be there and, yeah, you know, cool. all the glitz and the glamour that comes with it. <laughs> I, well, I really wanted to. Sure. But still, but I mean, what a huge moment. It was a massive moment. My family was really pleased. My daughter was super stoked and we, she was right by my side when they were calling all the nominees. Uh, all the nominees and uh when they called the winner and it was good that's so cool so cool so uh i want to hear about the new one it's called seeds and that was what written based off a text that you received is that what i read my cousin ajika um well it's not based on text i'm not based but you received a text that kind of inspired it right yeah it was inspired by a text because uh it was i don't know if you've heard about what's going on here and and the residential school findings of, of, of missing children. No. Basically, what's happened in Canada is uh, it's been exposed. And, and most people who have, you know, First Nations heritage already know this, but um, genocide was committed here in Canada a long time ago. The residential school system was built when Canada was founded 
by the government in order to wipe away, quote unquote, the savages. And mm -hmm. so what, was, what happened was um, indigenous and First Nations children were stripped away from their families and put into these schools that were um, owned and, and run by the Catholic Church um, in order to try to wipe away their identities mm -hmm. and their her heritage and their culture. And what happened was a lot of these children were uh, A, abused, um, some were murdered, and uh, what they, some you know, tried to escape and didn't make it home. It uh, caused huge damage through generations and generations of families where you can imagine the parents, the grandparents, all you know, losing their kids, turn to certain things and, and have hopelessness, of course. Um, and uh, what they've been finding uh, in Canada so far is unmarked graves filled with children's bodies. At these oh schools. my gosh. So they've, they've uncovered over 10,000 children's bodies. Oh, wow. That is, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, Canada's not all cozy. Um, so what's been happening here has been really horrific. And now the public finally sees that there's evidence that this really did happen, genocide. And one of the things that people don't know about is that this, this system was, you know, apartheid in South Africa. South Africa came to Canada and mm -hmm. saw what was happening and, and based their ideas of, of apartheid on what was happening here in Canada. Is that right? I did not know that. 100%. Oh my gosh. So uh, when the, one of the first uncoverings came up, I got the text from my cousin and she said, you know, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. And that's wow. the based on. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So, and this is still stuff that's being uncovered, uh, you oh, know, yeah. as, yeah. We, as we still gone. have 150 schools to go over. Oh, wow. So these are still, these schools are still standing. Like these are the original school. Like the, I guess, because yeah, well, I know here in the States, they'll just, you know, build a development and then put a school there or mow something over and, you know, put a school there. Like, I, I guess I'm, I'm, can you kind of fill me in on how that is? Sure. Uh, the schools are not operational at all. But the right. buildings are still standing? The buildings are still standing. Okay. Wow. Long, well, I guess the 60s would have been maybe the last, early 70s, which is still not long ago. No, not really. Not at all. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of, and, you know, being a person of mixed heritage, being, you know, a black, uh, a black Indian, I mean, people will hate me saying that, but that's, that's, my, my, my folks have used that lingo for a long time, so. Mm -hmm. I guess the proper way to say it would be First Nations, but um, I um, essentially, you know, felt compelled to also talk about, you know, things like George Floyd and, and, and how those stories um, have been, you know, captured on film because everybody's basically got a camcorder in their hand. Right, right. You know, the Black community knew these things were happening all the time, but not everybody else did. And, and they, 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 they've been told that they didn't believe it, and now there's evidence. And so, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. Well, and so is this song going to be part of uh, a record that you have coming out, or I mean, a full album, or is it? Yeah. Was it something that just kind of inspired you, and you you wrote the the song and you and you and you put it out? No, there's a full album coming up. 
It's called Beyond the Reservoir. There are nine songs, maybe a bonus song, I'm not sure. Okay. Nine tunes, and um, yeah, it comes out in October. Really, really proud of it. Lyrically, it's pretty um, emotional. It's poignant. It's heavy. It's a beautiful record. It's authentic. It's, it's just like me. Are, are there other songs that are that, you know, deep-rooted and, and that, uh, you know, powerful? Yeah, I mean, the, the, record is, um, the record's about identity. It's about resilience. It's about hope. Uh, it's about um, heartbreak and sadness. Um, some of the songs deal with, you know, murder, as friends of mine have been. Wow. Some of the songs deal with um, love and, 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 and tragic things and heart, heartbreak, as I mentioned. Uh, one of the songs is directly, you know, correlates to, to the song Seeds, and, and that's a song called uh, Stolen Lands, where I deliberately take a shot at Woody Guthrie. I mean, I like Woody Guthrie for, for many reasons, but I also don't like him for many other reasons. I have a, you know, a hard time with uh, This Land Is Your Land, and I, I, I say it, you know, I said, you know, in, in the song the lyric goes, this land is your land, this land is my land, this land was made for you and me. And then I say, uh, a poor choice of words by Woody Guthrie, the land was stolen, and now everyone can see. And then, uh -huh. you know, and then the second part goes, and this land is your land, this land is my land, this land was made for you and me. No, it wasn't poor choice of words by Woody Guthrie, the land was stolen and built on slavery. So I'm trying to address both uh, parts of my cultural heritage and in the um, final, you know, wrap up, I say, you know, one family had their land stolen, the other one was stolen from their land, and now here I stand, which sort of correlates and goes back to they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Mm -hmm. Wow. That I'm a living being um, that was had, you know, my ancestors and my family um, almost destroyed or attempted. Sure, sure. Yeah. Is it difficult to to put some of those songs down and, and out, or is it more therapeutic? I think it's a necessity, really. Okay. If I have if I have the chance to speak up about something that I'm passionate about, then I think that you know, it, John Lewis said that if you see something that's wrong and injustice in the world, uh, you have a, a, a duty to say something and do something about it. Yeah, for sure. No, and and uh, I I think the song is incredible. Um, the story behind it is very you know powerful and you know, obviously sad. But um, I'm glad you were able to kind of get that word out because I had no idea that this was happening or this had happened. Right. So maybe not. Maybe you don't. Maybe a lot of people don't. Sure. I mean, yeah. That's that sounds terrible. And um, I I'm looking forward to the record. I mean, it sounds like you. you You've put a lot, obviously, a lot, a lot of yourself into it. So yeah, I did. I really put a lot of thought into it. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Sure. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Julian, for doing this. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Um, I do have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Oh man, lots of advice. But I think that uh, the one that uh, really stuck with me was when I got a phone call from uh, my friend Colin Linden. And uh, that was around the time where my major label deal had been disintegrating in front of my eyes. And I was rather young at the time and feeling like there was no hope. He just called and said, hey, 
JT. You're the one that calls everything. You're the one that calls the shots. Remember that it's only over when you say it is. And, you know, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the, the, the critics either. Thank you.